Hello everyone and Namaskar. So today's podcast is a continuation of the reading of the book titled Anandamurti, the Jamal Priyars. And this is a reading of the eighth chapter titled Death Demonstration. What happens when spiritual aspirants succeed in their quest to know Purushottama, Supreme Consciousness, and attain union with Him? All bondages are snapped. When one loses all attachment for pettiness, the bondages which create pettiness also perish. With the dissolution of the unit mind, that is, with the attainment of mental expansion, suffering also gradually wanes. Even the bondage of life and death is broken, for life and death belong to the finite, and so does the fear of them. The great Brahma is beyond the scope of life and death, and so one who becomes completely identified with him also remains unassailed by their ceaseless play. The following Sunday, the disciples gathered once again at the Rampur colony quarters for Baba's darshan. Baba gave a spiritual talk and demonstrated another type of samadhi through the medium of pranaya. A strong sense of camaraderie began to spring up among the disciples as they became acquainted with one another and shared their devotion for their guru. The profound, life-altering sentiments that only their fellow disciples could understand. A community was in the process of being born, and those who were present during those initial gatherings could feel it right from the outset, the ties of spiritual brotherhood that would bind them more closely to each other than to their own families. The word spread quickly among the initiates about the demonstrations. The following Sunday, November 21st, saw an even greater influx of disciples eager to witness what Baba would do next. That morning, Virendra Kumar Ashtana, who had been unable to attend the previous two Sundays, arrived in Jamalpur from his home in Bagalpur and went straight to Baba's house. About a year earlier, he had been transferred to Nagina's office as the assistant collector of Central Excise and Customs, replacing the man who had earlier given Nagina so much trouble. Impressed by what he saw in Nagina, he had expressed his desire to meet his guru and take initiation. Despite being turned down by Baba several times, he had kept on trying and had finally gotten permission a couple of months earlier. Arstana arrived at Baba's house shortly after breakfast and was fortunate enough to find the master alone. Together they sat and talked about spirituality. Baba patiently answered his disciples' questions and instructed him in the finer points of meditation. While they were talking, a young man appeared in the doorway. The moment Baba saw him, he started scolding him. Scoundrel, good-for-nothing chap, how dare you show your face here? Go away, I don't want to see you anymore. Arstana was greatly surprised. Never had he seen Baba in such a mood. The master had always seemed to him the image of serenity, love, and wisdom. The young man, however, didn't heed Baba's words. He caught hold of Baba's feet and started pleading with him, Forgive me, Baba. I couldn't help it.
Please forgive me. Baba's tone softened. You have committed a grave error. Are you ready to accept punishment for what you've done? Yes, Baba. Whatever you decide, the man replied, relief showing through his tears. Virendra, go get one of your shoes and bring it here. A bewildered Ashtana jumped up to fetch the shoe and brought it to Baba. Baba then ordered the man to lick the sole of the shoe, an act of extreme humiliation in Indian culture. Arstana sat and watched, too shocked for words. As soon as the man began to lick the shoe, Baba stopped him and gave him his blessing. He told him he can go, but that he should come to the Rampur colony quarters that evening for the program. Once he had left, Baba told Arstana that the man had committed a great sin, but he had forgiven him. Then he picked up the conversation where they had left off, nothing in his voice or facial expression giving any indication that something out of the ordinary had happened. What kind of guru do I have? Arstana thought, as they continued the conversation, unable to reconcile the fierce disciplinarian he had just witnessed with the magical figure who had begun to inundate his life with bliss. By late afternoon, the Rampur colony quarters was teeming with disciples. When Baba arrived, the small front room was so tightly packed that the spectators were scarcely able to move. Baba made his way to the empty cot and sat down. He smiled and greeted everyone and chatted with those sitting closest to him. One of the disciples sang a devotional song. Then he began his talk. He started by explaining life from the yogic point of view, emphasizing that life requires a parallelism between the body, the mind, and the vital energy. When this parallelism is lost due to changes in the physical wave, such as those brought about by illness or injury, or due to changes in the psychic wave, then the mind separates from the body. Most people are afraid of death, Baba said, but no one need be. Death is a natural process, as natural as life itself. People commonly think that dying is painful. They see the stages that a dying person goes through and think that the person must be suffering greatly, but generally this is not the case. In most cases, the experience of dying is not much different than that of falling asleep. From the outside, the person may appear restless. They may appear to be suffering, but their inner experience is quite different. From there, he went on to explain in detail the yogic conception of the body's vital energy. The human body, he said, has ten bayus, or vital airs, five internal and five external. Of the five internal bayus, prana governs the area from the navel point to the throat, apana the area below the navel, saman located at the navel point, maintains the balance between apana and prana, udana governs the throat area, and viana is distributed throughout the body. Each is responsible for the bodily functions in their respective areas. For example, prana controls respiration. After elucidating in detail each of the internal bayus, 
he explained the external bayous in the same manner, and then went on to explain what happens to the bayous during death. In the human body, the navel point is the point of balance between the upper and lower portions. When Saman fails to maintain the balance between prana and apana, then prana becomes dislocated, which gives rise to navel breathing. These three bayus, failing to maintain their individual integrity, merge together and strike at the udana. When udana also loses its individual integrity, the four bayus merge with viana and look to escape the body. At this point, Baba asked the disciples if they would like to see a demonstration on the subject. Will you be afraid? He asked them. When they assured him they would not, he called Krishna Chandrapal, or Krishtopal, as he was commonly called, to the front of the room and asked him to sit in lotus posture and close his eyes. Ashtana recognized him as the young man whom Baba had disciplined so sternly that morning. Take your mind to Ishta Chakra and concentrate it there, Baba said, in a firm and solemn tone of voice. Krishtopal began concentrating as instructed. Pranabayu, leave your position and strike at Samanbayu, Baba continued. Krishtopal's breathing became deeper. When Baba asked what he was feeling, he replied that he was feeling very relaxed and that he was losing the feeling in his hands and feet. Prana and Saman merged together and strike at the Apanabayu. Krishtopal's breathing became heavy. He started gasping for air. Murmurs of concern went through the assembly. But when Baba asked him if he were feeling any discomfort, he shook his head. Prana and Saman merged with Apana and strike at the Udana Bayu. Kishtopal fell over on his back. Several of the onlookers gasped. A rattling sound came from his throat, and saliva foamed on his lips. Now, Prana, Saman, Apana, and Udana merge with Viana Vayu. All movement in Kishtopal's body ceased. His head tilted slightly to one side. Baba asked Dr. Sachinandan Mandal to come forward and examine him. Is he dead or alive? Baba asked in a calm, seemingly unconcerned tone of voice. The doctor examined him for a minute or two as the tension in the room increased. Baba, I can't find any vital signs. He has no heartbeat, no pulse. Baba looked around the room for a few moments. Signs of apprehension were visible in the faces of nearly everyone present. Clinically, he is dead, Baba said. He paused for a dramatic moment or two. But actually, he is not dead. Pranabayu is still present in the spinal column, in a suspended state. Now, it so happens that in certain rare cases, before the bayus completely escape and merge into the universal prana, they remain suspended in the spinal column. This can happen in the case of certain accidents, snake bites, and occasionally with cholera victims. In such cases, the person has no vital signs. He appears to be dead, but actually he is not. In those countries where burial is the custom, it is possible that a person may revive after he has been buried. There have been cases noted in these countries 
where a coffin has been disinterred and scratch marks have been found on the inside of the lid, or the skeleton may have shifted position. Sometimes people attribute this to ghosts. For this reason, in ancient India, the bodies of people who had died from cholera or snake bite were traditionally floated down river on a raft in the hope that they might revive. This is one of the reasons why I support cremation. Should a person's life force be suspended and this not be discovered by the doctors, then there is no chance of their awakening inside the coffin and dying a second horrible death. Baba raised his finger and ordered Pranavayu to leave the body. Kristopal's head tilted even further and his mouth opened slightly. Now he is dead, Baba said, with an air of finality. As I was saying, I support cremation for reasons I have already explained. You can now make arrangements for the disposal of the body. Murmurs of alarm passed like a contagion among the disciples. Several of them importuned Baba to bring Ketstopal back to life. What can I possibly do now, he replied. I have no such capacity. Some became worried about what would happen to them when the police found out. Others were wondering what manner of a miracle maker Baba was to be able to do such a thing. If you were quietly enjoying the drama, their faith in the master holding firm. Rasamai was terrified. Gestopal had gone married only a few days before, and he and his new bride were staying with him while they were in Jamalpur. How could he tell her that she was a widow, that Gestopal's guru had taken his life? Baba smiled. Don't worry, he said. Remember, you promised you would not be afraid. I am going into the next room for a short while. In the meantime, keep watch over Kestopal's body and make sure that no insects are allowed to enter through any orifice. Baba asked Nagina and Pranay to accompany him into the next room, where he gave them instructions to massage his feet and hands while he sat for meditation. They spread a blanket on the floor for Baba to sit and massage them for some 15 to 20 minutes while Baba remained in a state of trance. Finally, Baba opened his eyes and returned to the room where Kastopal was lying inert among an anxious group of disciples. Baba sat down near Kastopal's head. He reached out his right foot and touched the big toe to the crown of his disciple's head. Almost immediately, Kastopal stirred. A collective gasp of relief passed through the crowd. Open your eyes, Baba said. Kastopal opened his eyes. Who are you, Baba asked. To everyone's surprise, he gave a completely different name. Why are you here, Baba asked. Because you asked me to come and protect his body. Very well. Then as long as you are here, you should do some work. Take your mind to the moon. I am there. What do you see? Arid plains and mountains. Is there any sign of life? No, there is no oxygen. Go below the surface of the planet. What do you see? Baba, I see vast deposits of gold and silver. Now take your mind to Mars. Is there any sign of life? Yes. What kind of life? Microbial life. Now take your mind to a planet of the star Ashbin. Does life exist there? Yes. What kind of life? Human life. 
Does this human life bear any resemblance to human life on earth? No, Baba. They have a different physical structure. What is the spiritual standard of that civilization? They are far more advanced than human beings of earth. Their young children are initiated into advanced processes of meditation. I see. Now take your mind to Tibet. Baba gave him instructions to go to a certain cave in the Himalayas near Limpopo. What do you see there? Baba, there is a yogi with long hair meditating in the cave. Can you recognize him? Yes, Baba. It is Subhash Chandra Bose. Ask him if he wants to come back to India. He is shaking his head no. Very well. Now take your mind to the Kremlin. What do you see? I see Malenko meeting with members of his cabinet. Baba's voice suddenly hardened. Tell Malenko that if he does anything to disturb the cause of world peace, he will meet the same fate that Stalin met. Baba gave permission for that mind to leave, after which the body remained lifeless. He looked around the room and told everyone that he will now bring Kestopal's mind back to his body. But before doing so, everyone had to promise that they would not tell Kestopal what had happened. As I explained earlier, the experience of dying is not much different than that of falling asleep. When Kestopal regains consciousness, he will assume that he was asleep. However, he will feel very tired and disoriented, much more than usual, due to his body having been uninhabited for some time, during which the circulation of the blood was stopped. I will ask someone to massage him. This will help him to recuperate faster. Baba raised one hand and began tracing small circles with an outstretched finger. Wherever you might be in the great void, come now to earth, come down to India, come to the state of Bihar, come to the city of Jamalpur, enter into the quarters number 339-E-F, Rampur Colony, enter into this body. One by one, Baba ordered the bayus back into the body. As everyone watched, in suspense, they saw a little movement in Kestopal's hands. Then his feet stirred slightly. Finally, after a couple minutes, he opened his eyes again. Baba chanted some mantras in Sanskrit, and moments later, Kestopal was able to sit up. Kestopal, he said, you look out of sorts. What happened? I am sorry, Baba. I must have fallen asleep. I feel so tired. Baba instructed two disciples to give him a massage and told another to prepare a cup of hot milk for him. Arstana was as amazed as everyone else by the events of that day, but a burning curiosity remained in his mind. Why had Baba scolded Kestopal so mercilessly that morning? The next time he had a chance to be alone with the master, he took advantage of the opportunity to pose this question. That rascal, when I initiated him, I forbade him to marry, knowing he had a samskara for a short life. You know very well what the position of widows is in this country. It is pitiful. They are expected to never remarry and to retire from society and go into seclusion, even if they are very young. The diseased husband's family often mistreats them. If Kesto got married, then an innocent girl will soon be widowed and forced to undergo needless suffering. I didn't want to see that happen, but the scoundrel went ahead and disobeyed my orders. 
What could I do? He is my disciple. He had a samskara to die at a young age, and that samskara had to be exhausted. So I did the death demonstration. Now that samskara has been satisfied, and he can live a long life. The disciples could not hold their tongues for long. Eventually, one and then another approached Kastopal and asked him if he knew what had happened to him that evening. Sure, I fell asleep while I was supposed to be meditating. No, Baba demonstrated death on you. You were dead. We all saw it. Once the ball of secrecy was broken, Arstana asked Kestopal about that day after relating what Baba had told him. Yes, it's very true, Kestopal said. The previous week, I had gone to my native village on vacation to visit my parents. Unbeknownst to me, they had made preparations for my marriage. They had chosen a bride from a neighboring village, fixed a date, and invited the guests. I tried to protest and tell them that my guru had forbidden me to marry, but it didn't do any good. The pressure from the family was so intense that in the end I caved in. When I arrived back in Jamalpur, I left my wife in the station and went straight away to Baba to apologize and explain what had happened. But as you saw, there was no need. He already knew. He knows everything. Nagina also questioned Baba about the incident and asked him why he had requested them to massage him when he went into the other room. My mind was withdrawing into the state of Nirvakalpa Samadhi, Baba explained. If I had allowed that to happen, it would have taken some time to come back to a state of normal consciousness, and his body would have begun to decompose, making it difficult or impossible to bring back his mind. For that reason, I did not want to go into Samadhi. I asked you to massage me so that my mind would remain conscious of the body. In spite of taking these precautions, I still went into Samadhi for a short time. Kestopal would indeed live a long life. He died in August of 2008 during the preparation of this manuscript. Thank you.